tuning into another edition of the tune-up and before we get started today i just wanted to share some words on the incidents of the past week i once got a pen at the holocaust museum in washington dc it read never forget remember the children over the past week we've been off letting the voices that need to be front and center on this conversation of inequality properly guide the nation through these troubling times i kept thinking about that quote in my own personal reflection And then Sunday morning, a small African-American child, no older than six, protesting in L.A. went viral. She was walking down the street, marching in fact, with a self-assurance most adults can only aspire to, and a pain in her eyes I knew that I'd never know. It is children like her why it is important to continue to advocate, not just for a fair criminal justice system that works for everybody, but a society that does. This cannot be one afternoon during a pandemic that gets us out of the house. This cannot just be a news cycle. We have the opportunity right now, during this pandemic, to greet the obstacles that faced us during the riots in 1919, the challenges of the summer of 1967, to make sure that names like Rodney King and Eric Gardner ultimately change the world. This is the moment. It is here. Let's be the generation that meets it. I mean, that's that's the scary thing about it. You read these, you know, independent commissions and things like that that came to pass, you know, after the riots in 1919, after the riots in Harlem in the 40s, after the riots in the 60s, and they all basically sound the same. You know, they have this similar conjecture in it for things that need to change and how it needs to change, and uh, it never changes. So I think... As much as it's nice to say, you know, we had a week where we were into it, um, where, you know, the casual observer of something like this was outraged by watching a man murdered and then they go on with their life. The only way that you're going to see real change right now and drastic change is by keeping the keeping the pressure on now. People have to stay in the streets. People have to stay vocal and loud with their local um, police, their local city council, their local boards, and making sure that actual reform is going. And if people aren't listening, you have to try to organize to the point of critical mass and make them listen. Because that's really, at this point, when you're dealing with, you know, as close to a potentially authoritarian regime as we have at this point, The only power we have goes back in power to the people. And you're seeing it now. You know, the reactions you see is fear. It's fear from millions of people being in the streets. And if millions of people stay in the streets and millions of people actually keep uh, their foot on the pedal, then you actually might see some change. Like you said, this time was unique in the fact that, you know, People were home for three months. People are broke. People are cooped up. People are in a extremely strange situation. And then on top of it, within the last six months, you had three incidents that no rational human being could see or hear about and not be affected by and not want change from. And if you're a person 
who could hear about Breonna Taylor, if you're a person who could see the Ahmaud Arbery video, if you're a person who can see the George Floyd video, and you actually step away from that and think nothing is wrong and think nothing needs to change, well, you're part of the fucking problem, if you ask me. Um, so, you know, we could get into a lot of different parts. I I'm not a politician, and I can't get into the minutia of, like, what and how exactly these discretionary budgets should work and how much money should be taken away from standard police and put towards this and how much it should be folded. I, I just, I don't know, you know, and, and how could I? But I do know that change is absolutely necessary. And um, if anything, I could say from this one, it seems like the most consensus we've had in a long time that something does need to change. And apparently from talking to people like my father who, you know, marched in the sixties and was a city college student in 1964 in Harlem, uh, you know, this is the largest and most critical uh, movement of, of its kind since. So I would love to see the pressure stay on. I would love to see people not get bored you know, because you or I, at any point of this conversation, we can decide to opt out. We can just be like, hey, it's not us anymore. You know, we had our week, made some donations, and now we get to sliver back into, you know, hmm. uh, a safe society that we go back to. And that's the definition of privilege that people need to understand. Um, you know, even someone like me had a difficult time stomaching the concept of white privilege when I first heard it because I grew up poor. Not, I'm not going to say I didn't grow up poor. I didn't grow up rich. You know, I've been a, a Jew my whole life where I learned that half the white people I meet don't want me in this country or want my family dead. So, you know, I thought I understood for a long time, but I didn't because I've had 50 interactions with police through being a skateboarder and a show promoter and a guy driving around the country in shitty vans where never once did I even consider the fact that my body or my physical situation was in harm. And I think that's the fact that you can't understand is what you need to understand mm. and open your fucking ears and see what other people have to say. Well, I want to talk about, you know, everyone is talking about, donating to bail funds and people have done a, a lot of good. I think that's the inspiring thing that when we unify together, like everybody against a common evil. Uh, and in this case, in this particular scenario, the, the police murder is absolute evil. It's the most, one of the most disgusting things you can see. But a lot of the, the rage has gone toward municipalities and and defunding the police. And we'll get to that in a second. But I want to know where the rage from your everyday citizen is at police unions. Because time and time again, we see these cops murder and uh, do other uh, unlawful actions. And they get fired. And in major cities in particular, more than 25% of the time, these cops get rehired. And that's because mm -hmm. these police right. unions, even in the case of Eric Garner... The New York uh, police union threatened to pull guys off the street, and they did for a time. And and yep. you want to know something? Crime and arrests went down. 
And right. you yeah. never heard anything about that when these folks went back to the negotiating table. So I think that that is interesting. And Benny, there's another thing that people around the country, regardless of what their skin tone is, can do. They can write to their local representative asking for for a federal government consent decree on police. And what that is, is it is a federal court overseeing of police agreeing to change and it's overseen by the court and the same people that you elect in to you know make sure that nothing bad happens they can have your back in in this case too i firmly believe that they can and just uh you know we love stats here but normally they're sports related obama uh, under the obama administration he administered 15 consent decrees george bush 12 trump the Trump administration has uh, had one uh, looked into it, but zero official consent decrees. And wow. police brutality has only been on the rise the latter half of the last decade. So these are other things you can do if you don't have the funds to uh, donate to these bail funds. You can write your local congressman asking why more isn't being done against police unions and asking uh, for more consent decrees to be in wherever injustice is, is happening. I didn't know about that. Makes sense. All right, let's transition here now with This Day in Music History. Do, 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 do. Benny, what do you got? Well, on this day, June 9th, 1958, Jerry Lee Lewis took out a full-page ad in Billboard magazine to explain about his second divorce and third marriage to his 14-year-old cousin, Myra. This is one of those, like, very glossed-over points of music history at this point, that Jerry Lee Lewis divorced his second wife and married a 14-year-old. Most people my age knew about this story because you saw the Dennis Quaid movie in the 80s. I don't know if people your age even knew this went down. But... First off, just imagine the world we lived in at that point in 1958 that this guy still even had a career yeah. and was still even going because the obvious. Yeah. But, you know, I heard, oh, he took out a full page in Billboard magazine. Maybe he really showed a lot of contrition or explained some version of love or something. I thought he was going to really pitch for himself. And it was just a defensive piece <laughs> about the media attacking him. Mm. And this is how the uh, this is how his full page in Billboard finished the last paragraph. I quote Jerry Lee Lewis: "I hope that if I am washed up as an entertainer, it won't be because of this bad publicity. Because I can cry and wish all I want to, but I can't control the press or the sensationalism that these people will go." to get a scandal started to sell papers. If you don't believe me, please ask any of the other people that have been victims of the same. So not only did Jerry Lee Lewis show zero contrition about divorcing his wife and marrying his 14-year-old cousin, he is apparently the victim. Uh, so I would like everybody to remember that part of Jerry Lee Lewis music history. Oy, what a greaseball. Uh, well, let me lighten up the mood a little bit, you know, and... On this day in 1972, Bruce Springsteen signed with Columbia Records and assembled the E Street and started to assemble 
the E Street Band with some of his ex-Asbury Park bandmates. So, shout out to it all really getting started on this day in 1972. And I kind of feel like anytime there's Bruce Springsteen history, we have to mention it on the podcast because, well, that's clearly what the people want. That is. Well, <laughs> that's kind of a big day. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. If that never happens... Who knows if Big Boy over here ever had a real career. Right, exactly. I, I was just going to ask I, that. Yeah, well, no, it's true, man. I mean, like, you know, I know we had a lot of talk about Bruce Springsteen. A lot of it was tongue-in-cheek yeah. in the last couple months. But, you know, I fully recognize the fact that, you know, my band and a lot of bands followed in a path that he had a big part in, in burning. And, uh, yeah, respect, man. Like, it's a pretty big day. And I've always kind of thought about this, like, what does modern Asbury Park look like if the music is, isn't is there? I mean, maybe it's just like another, like, seaside town. I, I don't know. I mean, it had that run. I mean, we could talk about why it didn't have that run in the same vein of what we talked about before. But it'd be very interesting to see what Asbury Park in 2020 would look like without the music. It definitely wouldn't feel as I've seen written about Asbury Park, it's Brooklyn by the Beach, which really makes me want to gag, but whatever. Yeah, that's pretty gross. That's pretty <laughs> gross, especially because the the Asbury I knew in the 90s. <laughs> I mean, it might have been like Red Hook or something. <laughs> Not that kind of Brooklyn. So I have one more. Yeah. In 1994, Lisa Left Eye Lopez of TLC set fire to her boyfriend's house her boyfriend was Andre Risen of the Atlanta Falcons. Mm. Now, I don't know if anyone remembers Andre Risen was his baller, yeah. good player. He was coming off four straight seasons of uh, a thousand yards and ten touchdowns. In the year before, he had twelve hundred yards and fifteen touchdowns. He was at the height of his career. Something happened. I think he was accused of cheating, or maybe he did cheat. And apparently, she took all of his shoes. He had a massive shoe collection, put him in the tub of the house, lit him on fire, and subsequently lit the house on fire. So, so warning to everybody out there before you mess with certain types of women, they will toss your kicks in a tub and burn down your house if you fuck with them too bad. It's like that Carrie Underwood song about slashing your tires and shit. I thought we were going to get a personal antidote from Benny Horowitz right there. <laughs> I got some stories, but we don't need to get into that now. Goodness gracious. I got one more. I got one more for you today. All On right. this day in 2007, George Michael became the first music artist to perform at the New Wembley Stadium when he, per oh. when he played the first two shows at the venue during the 25 Live Tour. Benny, you played the New Wembley. I have. I have. So It was... It was uh, you know, not as cool as the old Wembley. Oh, okay, okay. You're yeah. a big Arsenal fan over here, Jesus. <laughs> no, nah, but... it was just like you know, you know, I was raised like, like a Queen. Um, oh, of course, disciple. You know, like I, I couldn't uh, not like Queen growing up, and there was posters of live at Wembley and stuff like all over. So I, I honestly didn't give a fuck which Wembley Stadium it was. I was just happy to be there in general, <laughs> but. I was afraid I was going to get kicked off that show for running my mouth. That was the corn dick experience. <laughs> but which, I, which is becoming a sort of infamous story. <laughs> I get called out on it a lot. Oh, really? You're going on other podcasts and they're asking you about that? 
<laughs> yeah, as a couple people have asked, and then a couple times I've written something innocuous on Twitter or something, and someone's been like, Ben, that's a real corn dick comment. And I'm like, oh, no, that story's oh, really getting around. It's Shit. a thing. But I got to ask, if there's one... I know you're probably not the guy to have uh, posters of of shows that you played hanging around your house framed up. But if there was one show that you played that you got the poster all framed up looking pretty in your living room, which one is it? Oh, man, that's tough. I don't know. I mean, I I know it's like a little bit of a corny spot, but when we played PNC, mm. you know, the former Garden State Art Center, like, that's one of those things. Like if you're from New Jersey yeah. and you get to headline that place, that's kind of like, that's, that's the writing on the wall. That's definitely a, uh, you know, if you spend any time in your teens getting <laughs> drunk in the lawn and uh, <laughs> seeing a shitty show out there and then you get to flip the script and sit on that stage. It, it was, it was a big one. Nice. Yes. All right, Betty, while we were away, the NBA board of governors voted in favor of a 22 team return to play. Uh, the NBA PA gave that approval last Friday, setting the resumption for the season. But wait for it. You got to wait until July 31st to get this thing going. So the season will conclude with eight regular season games per team in Orlando, Florida, with the possibility of a playoff play-in if teams are still in, in the running for the eighth seed. So, Benny, we have 22 teams coming in. What do you like about this proposal? What don't you like? Personally, for me, I kind of wish they would have skipped right ahead to the playoffs, but I could see why they wanted to get Zion Williamson involved there. Yeah. Well, first off, I love it just because now I might see some basketball. You know, like yeah. like from just a simple fact of like, just give me basketball. I don't care how y'all figured it out, what kind of format you had. If by the beginning of August, I'm watching NBA basketball on TV, I don't give a fuck about my Nets games <laughs> this year. I'm going to be happy about that, you know? Um, now, I didn't think the 22 teams, I think you probably could have kept another two home, simplified it. You know, each team with their staffs and everything like that is managing an extra 75 people, you know, give or take. And, uh, you know, a team like Washington, who was just fed a peanut because, you know, they needed one, you know, one team in the East <laughs> to have a yeah. fighting chance to do something. Uh, but I also don't, you know, I heard John Wall's going to be back. <laughs> and, you know, like, who knows? Yeah. Uh, you know, I know some people are angry about the whiz in, but the the way I like the fact that they have it formatted is Orlando's got a five game lead. And if Washington was to get into this, they would need to go on a really, really terrific run to do so. So uh, I think, you know, you could you could pick at the way they decided to do this in a many different ways. But I think it's close enough to what the players wanted and what works for the teams and what works for the league. Um, I did, you know, as much as, uh, as a fan, I didn't personally need this lead up to the playoffs. You know, if they were just like playoffs are set, this is what it is. Go ahead and play. It wouldn't have made a difference to me, but I think the league really needed to listen to the players and coaches when they're telling you like, we need these games. If you want even close to an NBA playoff product and you want to put that on TV, you need you need these teams to to get uh, you know players back players back into shape 
get some form of your rotations and some form of your style of play uh, to come back to it. And I also, uh, the one really interesting part of it is, you know, you've never um, seen what's about to happen with injured players, you know? There was a number of teams who had a number of injured guys where you were just like, during this season, you're like, you know, they're too banged up. They're not going to get through. And now all of a sudden, you know, you have uh, certain old men like LeBron James who have just been relaxing for a few months. <laughs> you know, you know what he he can do when he's had some rest. Or then, you know, teams like Memphis who look good anyway, getting a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. back to full strength. You know, you have a weird team like Dallas, you know, where you now have like Kristaps Porzingis looking good. You know, apparently the Joker over in Denver has got a four pack now, according to Jamal Murray. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of interesting stuff with that. Um, wh- who do you like in? You, we were predicting yet, or is it too early? I mean, I think we have about six more weeks to predict. But uh, no, I've been torn as as we, as preparing for this about which way to go with this. I, you know, I really liked Memphis when we stopped play, but it's also been a couple months. I also like the idea of New Orleans. Think about it. You got Alvin Gentry, guy who's been there. You got Drew Holiday. You've got JJ Redick, who he's had rest, was looking a little sluggish last time we saw him. You get a experienced group with a bunch of young guys that haven't been there before. So the Pelicans, a little bit more experienced, plus Zion, healthy, ready to roll. But last we saw that Grizzlies team, there was just something that I liked about them. So as of this moment, I'd put the Grizzlies through into the playoffs, which I want that because, as I said earlier on here. I know you want John Moran for MVP. Yeah, my guy John Moran's going to take down LeBron. Headlines. I mean, it would be fun. It would be fun. I do, you know, there's some teams, too, that, like, you know, I'm looking at the way this season was playing out, and, you know, I think I think your boys are in trouble, man. I I really like we're always everything in that's playing out in the East. Nobody ever I, thinks the know, Bucks are going to win until they win. Yeah, I mean, I it, mean it's true. And now and now I'm just seeing these. Five teams years ago, like, people were like, "We're not even going to be a franchise," and now look where we are. But tell me, like, do you want to see Philly in the playoffs? Do you? Yeah, because Brett see Brown Boston doesn't know what he's doing. Brett Brown still doesn't know what he's... Why is everybody on Boston's ass coming out of this thing? I don't understand it. Jalen Brown does one protest, and then next thing you know, they're going to go to the finals? Like, Brad Stevens has not been able to get it done in Boston yet. So you combine all of that together. I get Kemba Walker's nice, but... You, you know, why are you why are you taking how many how many rings does, does Bud have over there? You know, like he's never I'll, run through the playoffs. Are we counting the Spurs before? season? <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, like he, he had his runs with Atlanta. They had good teams. They made it to a certain point, just like uh, the other guys you're mentioning did. So it's not like you're comparing uh, Greg Popovich to Brad Stevens here. They're all in the same boat in the East, you know? I think, you know, the longer this goes, and I've said this from the beginning of of the season, the longer this goes, the more this is the Clippers title to lose. This is what I want to see. Yeah. I would love to see, I know, I know, you know, as much as I'd love to see one of these, you know, lower seed teams get through, I think if I saw Milwaukee and Philly Eastern Conference Finals will be a bloodbath and i think it would be a great thing to watch and i really really just hope we get lakers clippers still i mean it was <laughs> yeah everything i was hoping for before the season started and 
There's no, you know, nothing stopped me from wanting it now. I'm also wondering, James Harden's been awfully quiet. So I think. Well, because he's been in the Bahamas. What kind of, what kind of funny <laughs> tricks is he going to come out with? Some new, you know, three legged, one hand, four point shot from the, you know, from the uh, announcer's bench. God knows what Harden's going to be. Also, don't, do not sleep <laughs> on the defending champions. Do not sleep on the defending champions. They have that. As as a guy Jonesy would say, that championship pedigree now, they're an experienced team. I'd actually like at this point the Raptors over the Celtics if it started tomorrow. I could see it. I mean, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't count the Raptors out of any of those series. By the way, this past week, Benny, we got an answer to a question that we were wondering about with this entire Disney proposal. The players Ooh, right will not be able to go around in the parks. Because they'll be open to the public, apparently, by the end of July. So you're going to have Dion Waiters in Disney World not being able to go on Space Mountain. That's trouble for everybody involved. Forget the clubs in Disney Springs. It's Splash Mountain that you got to keep Dion away from. I'm really curious to see how these uh, higher seeds getting nicer hotels thing plays out. <laughs> you know, like, you know, guys are going to be on their Instagram in like, you know, recording themselves in a bubbly bath like a thing of champagne after a win you know and the guy who lo- you know who loses is gonna take the same picture at the motel sticks with a little bucket of ice and a and a box of pizza so i'm curious to see how that's gonna pan out i think it could be pretty funny actually so i gave my prediction benny what's your prediction for how this is gonna turn out do you think it's gonna be bucks clippers bucks lakers Sixers. Lakers. I mean, listen, I I gotta I gotta start with this prediction, which is I don't even fucking know if it's gonna happen, and I certainly know if don't know if it's gonna happen to the end. You know, yeah. like like there is no model for this happening and or working yet. Um, you know, I know us as human beings are very adaptable and we have short memories, but it was only March 11th that Rudy Gobert walked off the court. Uh, you know, and, and this whole thing went down. It really wasn't that long ago. Shit's still going down. People are still dying and getting sick. So, I mean, beyond predictions, let's just get through the fucking thing. Um, happy to see some basketball. I hope everybody stays safe. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that, that's that's what I'm predicting for now. And also, I mean, just the way these people react to that situation, you yeah. know, like you have human beings who are subject to variables and uh they couldn't be thrown more variables right now so to know which guys and which teams and which coaches have the the gumption to get themselves through something like this and which don't i couldn't tell you (laughs) by the way before we get out of here i just want to shout out a couple of our athletes that have really found their voice during you know the past week of these troubled times Really young people like uh, Weston McKinney of Schalke, uh, the team o- over in, in Germany, uh, a bunch of the U.S. men's national team players, DeAndre Yedlin, they, they've all stepped up. And to have the first couple of uh, games back and have a young African-American player over there having justice for George on a game that you know the world was watching so shout out to him the guys over at Wasserman did a great job hooking that whole video up the first enough is enough video came courtesy of the Wasserman soccer folks over there so shout out 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 to them and then as you saw you know a whole bunch of people just really 
stepping up for the voiceless and using their platform. So shout out to everyone that, that's used their platform o- over the past week to try to do good in this world. I think we can safely say the uh, stick to sports mantra is pretty officially dead at this point, which is good. That's a good thing. Shout out to Drew Brees. <laughs> hey, man, you know, I, I you know, this is this is where I, I still try to be. You got I like to think of these things rationally. OK, I was never going to buy a Drew Brees no. jersey. I'm certainly not going to now, but <laughs> the alternative of Drew Brees digging his heels in and uh, doubling down on something he knew was wrong is probably something that would have happened not very long ago, you know? Mm -hmm. And same with Goodell, you know, coming out and making that statement when he knew Trump was going to go after him and stuff. I'm not saying these people have great histories or have great backgrounds with the thing we're dealing with, but what's the alternative and what would you rather see? Would I rather see Drew Brees succumb to public pressure and then say the right thing? Would I rather see Roger Goodell succumb to public pressure and say the right thing? Sure, we can hold their feet to the fire for everything they did before that. But if people decide to change and people want to say the right thing now, you got to accept it, man. Mm. We need as many people on this side as possible. Right. I think that the important thing to learn is that change is possible and Yes, it's important to hold the people in power accountable. But, I mean, you see someone like Mitt Romney out there. And who would have thought that in 2012 that you'd have a staunch Republican like that out there? So change is possible. And sometimes it takes people longer to come around than others. So with all that said, uh, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at thetuneuppodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thetuneuphq. Follow Benny on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1. Number one in your minds, number one in your hearts, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, just uh, everybody, please stay smart, especially stay vigilant. Black Lives Matter. Everybody love everybody. <laughs>